This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the radio program Warning with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International and Eagle Saving Nations. In January of 2009, Dr. Hansen hosted Rev. Dr. Melvin Johnson on his television and radio programs, interviewing him on his book, Overcoming Racism Through the Gospel. Dr. Johnson stayed on the WMI campus for several days, and Dr. Hansen even had him share to the staff and families of WMI at their weekly Sabbath meeting. Today's recording is that meeting, recorded January 10, 2009. In his message, The Deluder Satan Law, he explains how racism has been used as a tool by people for generations to try to tear America apart, separating us from our godly mores and values, the Judeo-Christian foundation our nation was built upon. Now, let us begin this message. I have with me Reverend Dr. Melvin Johnson. He authored the book, in fact, I think most of you know, because I've announced it here before, Overcoming Racism Through the Gospel. Most of you have heard how I became aware of him. I was holding conferences in Texas a few months ago. I was on God's Learning Channel as a guest, and a couple days later, I think I was a guest on a Thursday night. And then I mm-hmm. held a conference on a Friday, another conference on Saturday, and mm-hmm. I spoke in a church on Sunday, and that night I had it on. So I tuned into uh, God's Learning Channel to see who they might have. Here, Dr. Johnson was a guest. And I was so impressed by what I heard that I got a hold of him to come here and do television with me. And we did just that. Yesterday we did five days of uh, radio. They'll combine it and put it on our shortwave program, and I'll actually probably use it as one of our uh, radio tape of the months, so all of you should get that. A little different than what we did on television yesterday, and then we're going to do three days of television still this evening, or six days of television, five days of radio. The truth was so refreshing. As we all know, that uh, compromise has been throughout the church, throughout the nations, and that's why we're in trouble. Because the Church of Jesus Christ has not been the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They've been the Church of some political parties, some racist parties, and tribe. They've been the Church of greed and gluttony and, and ultra-prosperity that is not the gospel. So as we've become a pagan nation after 1962, removing Bible and prayer out of 
the school system, removing our Christian heritage, removing values and beliefs, now teaching a doctrine of evolution and nothing but an animal mentality of values. We've become a pagan nation, and where the church has not stood up to speak the truth, we've become, there's nothing there to stop the floodgates of evil from sweeping this nation. The church is as pagan as, as the world for the most part. Where evolution is the religious doctrine taught in the schools, which is so filled with lies and myths, and just filled with such lies, scientifically filled with lies, mathematically. You know, every missing link turns out to be an orangutan skeleton <laughs> or a pig's, a pig's tooth or something. And, yet, and then they teach, you know, such a racist. Darwin was a racist. Charles Darwin was a racist, in the truest sense of the term. He put the black man as a little above the animal, the ape. Put the Jews on the same scale. In fact, the Jews might have been a little lower, either that or Hitler mm-hmm. put them a little lower. Because Hitler was a pure racist. Stalin was a racist. They all used evolution. And this is what's taught in the schools. They've taken our heritage out from 1962. So values and beliefs of Jesus Christ are no longer there. We teach nothing but an animal religion. And because of that animal religion, where this is the only life, you have homosexuality, abortion, everything else goes. I firmly believe inside my soul that evolution should be such a uniting issue for the church to come against and drive it out of the school or force them to put in the creation alternative. We should aggressively unite instead of retreat and just start our Christian schools, which I, I have no problems with Christian schools. I'm in favor of that. But I'm also in favor of the church instead of just retreating to attack and come against this racist theory. But the church isn't doing that. The church doesn't care. The church is just sort of backslidden. Let them preach what they want in the schools. I just, inside of me, just stirs up and say, why aren't we uniting and attacking? Why aren't we screaming? Because the atheists have screamed to get it in. Yes. Now they're teaching our children to be animals. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Marital sex, pass out condoms so you don't get... It's not don't have sex, just pass out condoms so you don't get pregnant. We're teaching an animal mentality in the public schools and the church doesn't do anything. See, if you put the alternative, then you have values and beliefs, then you have to come against homosexuality and abortion, then you, then this school doesn't want to do that. Because we're all moving into the United Nations agenda. The church is supposed to be colorless. I mean, you know that, I know that. You've heard me say it many times. The church is supposed to be colorless. I could care less the color of a person. Amen. I wish Alan Keyes was on the, one of the major party lines. I would have voted for him. And most of you know Alan Keyes is African American. But Alan Keyes has the same values we do. Against homosexuality, against abortion, against the United Nations. I mean, he, he's got his head on you. I would have loved for him to be president. I don't think McCain or Obama should have been president. But yet 95% of the black churches voted for Obama. Again, racism. A lack of maturity because leadership is not taught the things of God so you could vote in a candidate that is qualified to protect our Christian values. It's like the chickens voting for the wolf to come in and eat them up. And that's what we did. Uh, The chickens, and that's a good description of the church, the chickens that are afraid to open their mouth other than it's time to go to dinner, lunch or breakfast, you know, they open and ring the doorbell, but other than that, the chickens say nothing as the agnostic, the atheist, the abortionist, the homosexual, the sodomite screams at us and we do nothing until it's time for food. Then we look and say, let's go to the nearest buffet. 
Isn't that what the church is doing? Yeah. The chickens do nothing, and they open the door for the wolf to eat them up. Amen. Reminds me of a sermon I preached in Jamaica. Are you a chicken or are you an eagle? <laughs> There's a large church who got them screaming. <laughs> I turned them into, I'm going to be an eagle. Because again, yes. eagle was run over with immoral agenda. Are you a chicken or are you an eagle? It's time for you to fly with, with the eagles. Amen. But anyway, I was so impressed by Dr. Johnson. Colorless man. I'm convinced he could care less what color of skin you are. Amen. His book is so uh, boldly written, because I know anybody who read it that is a racist would really be mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I know he's been called Uncle Tom and everything else. <laughs> he has to be, because I, I, I know the racism out there, what they'll call you. Mm-hmm. What they'll call me, you know, they'd call me nigger lover and everything else, and they'd mm-hmm. call him Uncle Tom. I mean, that's what happens mm-hmm. if you're colorless. Mm-hmm. See, I'm colorless. I could care less, and all of you know it. Mm-hmm. All of you know it. Mm-hmm. But you very seldom find the same type of person that yeah. is furious and just speak the truth. Yeah. When I read that book, I said, man, this needs to be in every home in America. And it really does. And I'm going to do what I can to get as many books out there and you can order your books through me because we're going to have them real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we already have some. But uh, be in order to our office because we're going to be doing what we can to get that book out. When you get it, you'll see what I mean. You'll really be inspired. And you'll be so, I believe, encouraged that a church leader is just boldly presenting the yes. truth. Yes. And not afraid to say it. Not intimidated. Like I said, I read it and I said, wow, I, I want to get him up here, so I contacted him. So anyway, it covers a lot of subjects. It covers uh, evolution, it covers abortion, it covers the history of the black church. It goes into the problems in the church at large. Again, why they went into such deception as the NAACP because of, of the racism of the white church. And there was sincere racism. You know, the KKK was supposedly, quote, a white Christian movement. Again, based on Darwin, evolution, the mm-hmm. white supremacy, I mean, just flat heresy. But this is who Darwin was. He was a racist. And we need to bring these kind of facts right up to the forefront of the public. Why do you have a racist doctrine of evolution that Hitler, that Stalin, and then just name it, have backed, and now you've got it in the public schools? So we need to bring all these things up. But again, the church is doing nothing but sitting back and letting our walls be destroyed, as Nehemiah would say, and the enemy just sweeping through America. I think I gave him enough of an introduction. <laughs> He's a pastor also in Brazoria, uh, Texas, a fine servant of Jesus Christ, and I'm proud to have him as, as a brother and a colleague, and we'll see what the Lord wants us to do in the future. So I know you're going to enjoy listening to him. I know everyone who listened to the television programs yesterday really enjoyed it, and the radio programs you're all going to enjoy. So We're going to do three more tonight. Dr. Johnson, uh, take your liberty. Praise the Lord this morning. Well, he certainly is good. And I tell you what, I, with such a powerful introduction, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> However, I thank you all for being so accommodative as I have traveled these great number of miles to a place where I have never been before, obviously, but a place that I have fallen in love with. And 
from the deepest part of my heart, I just want to thank God for having people that I have come to know just in such a few short days, but yet I feel that I've known forever. One of the principles that I teach my congregation that if we are truly in Christ, it doesn't matter, no matter what place you go to, whether it's to the next community or around the world, there is a unity of the Spirit of God Amen. that makes strangers acknowledge one another as brother and sister. It's the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that looks beyond color, looks beyond personality, looks beyond our faults, that we can look at what's the essence of who each of us might be, and we work from the soul. Praise the Lord once again. I'm from a small town considerably. It's not too far from Houston. We, we live on the outer fringe of Houston because Houston is a very large place. It, geographically, it's about 600 square miles. And so it kind of absorbs everything, every, every community. There are a lot of fights about uh, small communities that fight to not to be incorporated into the city of Houston. And so that's an ongoing battle. So it's a big place. But praise God, there are great people, men and women of God, who are along with me. And I, I almost feel like a representative of some of them. I just thank God for you all. Now, Brazoria. Historically, it was founded back in the early 1800s. But there's a river that's about 800 miles long. It's called the Brazos River. How it got its name, its name in completeness is El Brazos de los Dios, which means in Spanish, the arm of God. And because of its length and, and uh, it actually saved a Spanish expedition. They were on ship out in the Gulf of Mexico. They were lost, and they were traveling up the Texas Gulf Coast, and they needed water because you cannot drink seawater because of its saltiness particularly. But so they, as they traveled up the Texas Gulf Coast, they found evidence of fresh water because of the discoloration between the Blue Sea Ocean and the uh, sandy, the Brazos is sandy, and, and so they followed it to its source and they traveled up the mouth and into the river itself and they got good fresh water and they named it the Arm of God because as they began to explore it they were amazed at how vast. To us it's almost like the Amazon River. <laughs> but the main thing is they gave it a godly name and the city of Brazoria is named after that river and uh, I like to call it the city with the arms of God and so uh, if I would impose upon my mayor and say that I would be an ambassador to you today and who's a good friend of mine by the way but I thank God and from Brazoria and by the way excuse my southern accent <laughs> but I'm from Brazoria and uh, we want to send our love to you all here today in Stanwood, Washington. Now, Pastor has mentioned several things that I would like to comment on briefly because our children, they are being bombarded by so many messages. 
what you may teach them at home and in, in church, it's like a spiritual eraser when they get to public school. They attack and they challenge our children. And it doesn't, it may start there, but it doesn't stop. It goes all the way into the universities and the colleges and the universities, all of the places of higher learning. So they always are challenged. Statistically, 70% of the children who graduate from high school and go to college, only 30% out of that bunch stay within the church. So that's a major battleground. Jesus commanded us, I would say, to occupy until he comes. And as I was listening to Pastor Hansen, we have retreated from practically every form of battle that we can imagine. We have left the battlefield and have retreated into the hills. And in some cases, we have retreated into the hills and hidden ourselves in caves. But I believe God, the Holy Spirit, is raising up a new generation of pastors. And when I say new generation, it's a combination of age, youth, and wisdom. People who will not be quiet. People who will not compromise. Because on my journey, I've received so much comfort in the power of God's Word. Against the advice of many, the fears of some, even questioning myself. As I started on this particular journey, there were some things that I became aware of that were the truth. But sometimes you find yourself caught between whether or not you want to say it or just leave it alone. Let somebody else find it. Let somebody else. How about just suggesting it to someone else. No. God says, this is why I called you. This is a precious gift that God has given me, a message that God has given me, and it's up to me to carry it forth. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not the only one, but I'm just glad to be one of those who will march forth. Another thing about the uh, public education system, some of you may be aware of this, Public education, the first public education legislation in the United States was written in 1642 in Boston, Massachusetts. And the name of this legislation was called the Deluder Satan Law. Now, deluder, to delude, that's a, what we would say, archaic word now. Trickster, deceiver. And it was written for the purpose of educating the people from youth beginning up to adulthood. Because the colonists in Massachusetts believed that if they did not educate their people, first of all, to read, secondly, to read the Bible, thirdly, to be educated in skills and and talents and all of these things, but to be able to read and read the Bible were the two most significant and important things that they could think of. Why? Because they knew that if Satan ever was able to infiltrate the colony and ultimately the nation, the nation would fall. They knew that God, his word, was the strength of the communities, of the colonies, 
of what became the nation. It was the word of God. Do not be deceived because the word of God is the standard that has built this nation. Even though many, even in our pulpits, will not acknowledge this, certainly many in our state legislatures and our federal positions of power will not acknowledge this. But the truth is, if we continue to allow the enemy to come in and infiltrate our homes, our families, our communities, the enemy will bring this nation down. And it's because of the lack of God's word today is why we have come to the position that we are today. Because we have allowed Satan to delude our generations. And we have all but kicked God out of schools, out of our communities. We can't say anything about God anywhere, practically anymore, except at, at church. And I'm becoming afraid that even the name Jesus at church is going to offend somebody. But there is hope. Because as long as you have people who are willing to stand no matter what the cost, there's always going to be hope. Yeah. We know that great is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Satan has been a master at deception from the very beginning. Practically any standard that has been erected or posted that stands against God is a facade. It's a, what we would call a paper tiger. It looks impregnable, appears to be immovable, but all it takes is someone who will stand on the standard of God's word, willing to go all of the way and take whatever it takes to uphold God's word. And my brothers and sisters, great things will start to happen again. I can remember when Isaiah, when he first realized the power, the, the magnificence, the holiness and the glory of God in, in the sixth chapter. And, and he said, when the day that King Uzzah died, I also saw the Lord. He's sitting high and lifted up. And he began to describe the vision of how glorious and, and, uh, and the Shekinah glory of God. And, and when God spoke, his voice, you know, it, it just shook the post of the temple and, and how great God. And he, when he saw all of the magnificence of God, he said, woe is me. <laughs> He said, I'm undone. I'm not, I'm not as much as I thought I was. He recognized his own spiritual state and said that I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of, of people of unclean lips. I, in other words, I thought I was something. But in the presence of God, I see that I am nothing. But God, we know, gave him a new lease on life. The seraphim took the coal off of the altar and said thy lips are clean thy sin is purged but then the question came after that he heard a question who shall go for us who shall we send and Isaiah spoke up and said we need some here I am send me type of people too often we look for other people to do it collectively as a church 
as we have withdrawn, we have looked for other people to do it for us. In my community, we have looked for politicians to do the work that God has empowered the church to perform. We always want to send someone else. Why? Because a lot of times we're too busy. We're too distracted. We don't have time to do the things that God has called us to do. In my area, we are beginning to see a lot of businesses shutting down. I don't know if it's this way up here. I live in a highly industrialized area. The entire region is very industrialized. A lot of high-tech as well as low-tech, everything. But one of the things we're beginning to realize now that people we haven't seen in church for a long time, they're beginning to come back into the church. Excuse me for exercising a little sarcasm there, but, but it's because many of them have lost their jobs and many of them are being threatened with the loss of jobs. And now they want to come ask God to help them keep their jobs. But even if the economy turns around and they get their job back or do not lose their job, very good possibility that we won't see them again until the next economic crisis. But God is not looking for people who want to show up asking Him for His blessing. When everything is going well, they don't have time for Him. God is looking for people who are going to be there to perform His will, daytime or nighttime, rich, poor, up, down, no matter what the circumstances, God is looking for a consistency in people. I'm saying all of this just to call to your attention that we who are of the body of Christ, we need one another. We should never get too busy, too preoccupied, or too unconcerned to the point where we will not have time for our fellow brother or sister in Christ. We have to start with one another because the enemy is, I would have said, at the door. <laughs> but I want you to understand he's come through the door. The enemy is invading into every room of our homes. We can't go into one room and hide hoping that he doesn't find us because the enemy is after every one of us. In the book of John, chapter 17, Jesus, he prayed. Or we could start at verse 20. In Jesus' prayer, this prayer, I'll just take it up at verse 20. Jesus said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall, future tense, believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. That's one of Jesus' prayers, but I am convinced that this is the one most neglected and leastly spoken of prayers that Jesus made. Jesus was not just praying for his disciples, but he was praying for you and I today. 
You see, if we cannot be one, then the world cannot be one. And what I mean by the oneness in the world is that if we cannot be one here within the body of Christ, the world will not see the right example. Oh, we'll have legislations, we'll have armies to conquer. You know, in the Islamic world, the peace means the absence of enemies. And the way they get rid of enemies, either make them slaves or kill them or get them to join Islam. That's not my definition of what peace is all about. Okay, in on a global sense, we have uh, the uh, former Soviet Union, Russia, and some of the Eastern European countries. We have North Korea. We even have Pakistan who have nuclear arsenals. Peace does not mean having weapons point at one another and saying there is no war. There, there is war. See, every war begins in the heavenlies and manifests themselves physically on earth. So there is warfare going on even during the Soviet Union's greatest time, greatest days, greatest period. That was what we would call the Cold War. But there was a lot of death and destruction going on. So war was being waged even though there weren't tanks and missiles being fired off. And there's a war going on today. And once again, it's based upon the heaven, the spiritual realm that manifests on the earth. So it's so important for the body of Christ to take heed to Jesus' prayer for the oneness that he asked his father that we would fulfill. Now, Jesus is not going to force anybody. God is not going to force any of us. We have to listen within our own hearts and accept what the Lord has given to us to do. In other words, we should be working to fulfill that prayer. One of the things that I quite often tell my congregation is that there shall not be any issue, situation, condition, or subject that will be greater than the cause of Christ. Within our church family, I encourage them because, you know, we can have schisms and divisions at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Pastors and ministers can disagree over scriptures and then stop speaking to one another. <laughs> Am I right about that? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, we should always hold the banner of Christ above all else. Once we put Jesus up front, when, once we exalt him to his position that he should be in, any issue, I don't care how serious or how bad it might get to be, any issue should automatically become the goal of solving because Christ is first. The color of that I want the pews to be or, or the songs that I want the choir to sing or the trip that I want, the mission to go on, and all of these other issues should be sub the cause of Christ. So that means there's a dynamic in the church that has been missing for many, many years, if it ever was in existence. This dynamic I'm speaking of is the dynamic of almost said reconciliation. But before you can have reconciliation, there has to be a separation first. <laughs> but in America, the word is conciliation. It's not reconciliation, racial reconciliation. No, it, it, there has to be conciliation first. 
conciliation, then separation, then reconciliation. But one thing about it, that shall be, that needs to be first a reconciliation with God. Before we can reconcile with each other, or reconcile with each other, we have to reconcile with God. Because every person has been from birth separated from God. So let's get reconciliation, and then we can have conciliation. And we can get conciliation, we can better achieve and acquire the goal of loving one another as Jesus said, and we all then can become one. My final part that I want to share with you is that Jesus prayed this prayer that they all be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You see, there's still some power to be unveiled in this earth, Dr. Hansen. There's still power that the world is yet to see. We've seen power that's released in the greatest and most destructive weapon ever known to man in the atomic bomb. We know how destructive it is. We know how it can destroy entire cities in just a flash. Mm -hmm. We know that instantaneously people's bodies are vaporized. That's very fast. But then there's another power that can be unleashed when the church becomes one. There's another power that can be unleashed that is so great, but instead of destroying, it creates. It has the ability to turn lives around from bad to better. It has the ability to take sick and broken souls and transform them instantaneously unto well-healed and happy souls. It has the ability to look at a person that is sick in bed and just turn their whole lives around where they can be dancing in the streets. This power that I'm speaking of is yet to be unleashed in our communities. Why? Because the enemy knows that when we truly become unified, he loses right. his whole program. Because I'm a believer, and I will continue to be a believer, that the church is the only physical, visible representation of the kingdom of God here on earth. The body of Christ, and who is that? That's you and me, all of us. No matter where we are right now, no matter who we are, we are the body of Christ. If we acknowledge and believe that we are the body of Christ, I pray that we ourselves make individual personal determinations that we're going to seek to fulfill the prayer that Jesus prayed, that we all become one. It cannot be uh, me or Pastor Hansen saying, you shall be one. It has to come from you and say, I shall be one. It's an individual change, it's an individual move, it's an individual process that if we recognize that Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, that if we seek to fulfill the objective of his prayer, that we all be one, then when we do that, 
the world will find out that we have presented a model on how to love and how to have peace. We cannot wait for the Congress. We cannot wait for the president. We cannot wait for our legislators. We cannot wait for the, the psychologists and the psychiatrists. We can't wait for the experts. We can't wait for the athletes. We can't wait for anybody. We have to just go and do what Jesus has already given us the ability to do. Yes. He said, Father, I pray that they be one. Yes. I'm encouraging you today to carry the message forward. Why? Because it's like, as I conclude, it's like Ben Franklin when he and the other representatives from the 13 colonies were beginning to meet. And he drew this snake. And some of you may remember what the caption beneath it was, because it was a snake that was all severed. Ben Franklin, they say, was one of the most ungodly <laughs> members of that time as far as put, bringing the nation together. But one of the things that he did, he drew the, the severed snake, and beneath it, he said, join or die. What we're seeing before us today is a call from God that we join and become one. Don't let the enemy cause you to fear, because once again, greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. And I know this for a fact. If God be for you, he's more than the whole world against you. Pastor Hanson, I'm not going to be disappointed if there is not a big number. Because like God used Gideon, started off with 34,000 soldiers. God said, you got too many. Well, God, how about 10,000? You still have too many. And I want you to know why I say you got too many, because there's a chance you might still win the battle and you'll say, look what we did. But I'm going to put you in a situation where you'll know you could not have done it in any way, any shape, form or fashion. No battle strategy can get you through this one. You will know that it was I who brought you to victory. So we broke him down to 300 soldiers. Against the Midianites who were like grasshoppers on the hills. But God gave him that battle. So we're not going to be disappointed if we don't get great big numbers. But one thing I do know, that if God is on our side, we shall be victorious. So I'm encouraging you to work the work that he has sent you to do. While it is day, because nighttime is going to come and no man is going to be able to work. Jesus wants you and I to stand up, speak up, speed up, build up. And if we can't do that, shut up. One of the problems through, let's say, the times, you can see it in Second Kings chapter 22. And this is one of the problems that I would like to share with you that needs to be overcome. It talks about young King Josiah, right? He was eight years old when he became king. It tells us he reigned for 30, 31 years in Jerusalem, the nation of Judah. And verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass 
in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan and the son of Azaliah and the son of Meshalam the scribe to the house of the Lord saying go up to Hilkiah the high priest that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people and let them deliver it to the hands of the doers of the work that have oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house in other words the house of the Lord, the temple, was in disarray. In other words, it was falling apart. It was becoming dilapidated. It was decaying. It was just basically falling apart. Now, this is also a time when Judah, the people of God, they were doing fairly well. They were doing good. They were in prosperity. But in their prosperity, the house of God was in despair. It's reflective of success in people where things are going so well that they begin to focus their attention upon their own things instead of the things that really and truly matter. But Josiah was still a young man, but he, as the scripture says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He stayed along the straight and narrow, didn't turn to the right or to the left. I don't know, politically, I guess he'd been independent, huh? <laughs> But he didn't stray one direction or the other. And for all that he did know and did understand, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. One day he decided that God's house needed to be repaired. Instituted what we would call the building program, a building fund program. And he collected monies from the subjects of the land, the Jews. And they collected the money and they brought the money. And Josiah directed his servants to go and give the money to the ones, the craftsmen who were going to do the work. And as we read down, verse 8, they had started the work and said, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan, described, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it unto the hand of them to do the work that they might have oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan showed the king saying, Hilkiah the high priest has delivered me a book. Had delivered me a book. They found the book and then he delivered me a book. We were working and we found this book. They found this book. This book they found, and it seems like nobody understood really what the book was about. They just found the book, this book, a book. They read it, didn't have any influence, anything, you know, so it's a book. And But when they read it to Josiah, <laughs> Verse 11 says, And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law <laughs> that he rent. In other words, he tore his clothes. Now look at here. The high priest called it a book. The ones who found it said, Hey, what is that? 
as if they pulled back some boards maybe, or they found a compartment in the house of God. They just found this document, this book. And no one apparently had a clue what it really signified. When you think about that, you can think about the fact that the priests, during all this time, all of these years, they were performing their priestly duties. They were receiving the offerings and making the sacrifices and they were praying the prayers and they were burning the incense and, and, and they were interpreting and administering the law of God. And they were going through all of these different rituals, but yet they could not recognize the book. It's a sad thing, my sisters and brothers, when the word of God is lost in the church. We can become embroiled and entangled in taking care of all of the duties and all of the rituals and, and taking care of all of the administrative responsibilities in the church. But the main thing is that sometimes we get distracted or forget about the significance of the book. That's what happened to the children of God, the people of God during that time. Like I said, the high priests. They were all, you know, doing their duties, performing their duties, but they could not recognize what they had found. We got to be careful, pastors. We can get involved in so much, and I've seen it. We can get so focused on so many things that we can forget about the book. We can forget about the Word of God. Oh, yes, we can make it shine. We can lift it up high and we can make it beautiful and we can make it appealing and attractive. But that's not what God is all about. And we can make it efficient. But God, he's more concerned about his people and the relationship that he wants with us. Even in the New Testament, we see that when Jesus came to the temple one day and he got so angry because in the court, he found people had set up tables and they were selling different trinkets and they were exchanging and, you know, they had a foreign exchange services for his money. And they had, if you don't want to carry your sacrifice from home, you can buy one at the temple. In some cases, the priests would receive the sacrificial offering and guess what they would do, you know, because they charged people for it. You know, it has to be a little service charge for what we're doing here. And they would take it inside, but then they would bring it right back out and put it on the table. And when Jesus came and he saw what they were doing, he made himself what we would call a whip. <laughs> the thing about it, let me say this. There were people who were suffering. There were people who were going through all types of, just like today, trials and tribulations. And they needed to hear from their God, but yet for a fee. But Jesus, when he came into the temple, he drove the money changers out and he said, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he drove them out. And when you look, we focus on that quite often. But when you look at that account in one of the gospels, you will find out that after Jesus drove the money changers out, then people came in, they started getting healed. Jesus was he started ministering to them after he got the religion out of the way. The religious people, 
even in Jesus's time and in Josiah's time, when they lost the word. See, religion will cause you to go through the motions. It will cause you to build up traditions. Religion will lie to you. Religion will tell you that you're all right with God. Religion will give you, let's say, tasks to perform in order that they might declare you okay with God. Religion will do a whole lot of things, just like with Josiah and even in Jesus' time. They became religious instead of spirit-filled people of God. I just had to throw that in. But Josiah, when he heard the word, something happened on the inside. The reason being is, you know, Josiah did okay, as the scripture says, that he did right, that which was in the sight of the Lord. He did right. But something had to happen because when he heard the word, he tore his clothing. Let me tell you what Josiah realized. Josiah realized that the nation was in deep trouble. He realized that what the word in that book was saying, and he would look out of his palace and see how the people were living, that was a big discrepancy. That was a big difference. That was something wrong with what the word of God was saying and how the people were behaving and acting and living. What did they do? They had sat up idols of worship inside the temple. They had created red light districts around the city. They had allowed the Sodomites to come in to their neighborhoods and establish little Sodoms and Gomorrahs. They had allowed the practice and the worship of other gods to become incorporated into their own lives where they even sacrificed their children to these demonic entities. They had done everything that the word of God declared that they would be punished for. When we look at today, my sisters and brothers, the church has retreated so far, so much, and has been in the process of trying to arrange peace treaties and agreements of acceptance with the ungodly. Psalms 2 starts off with the question, why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing against us? They say, let us cut, let us sever the bands, the ties, the bonds with this God. In other words, God was asking the question, why are we allowing the wicked to be so bold as to defy our God? What is the church saying? What's the response? We have been silent. We have been quiet. We have been intimidated. We have retreated to the hills and even into the caves. Josiah saw all these things happening and instantaneously he tore his clothes in repentance. Sent the book to the prophetess Huldah that she would give him clarification, direction, and instruction. And when Huldah got the word, the book, so see, she was a prophetess and she was also a faithful woman of God. 
And God used her to give King Josiah his direction. And Josiah called the nation together and read the book, had the book read in the ears of the people. And when that happened, they were all broken to the point of repentance. And it didn't just stop there. They started cleaning up their nation. Sometimes it takes more than just praying it away. You know, many of us, we see the wrong. We see the evil. We see the discord. We see the enemy. And let me tell you, the further we withdraw, the bolder he gets. The more we cower, the more we as men and women of God fall and faint and shiver, the more ferocious his roar sounds. But once again, understand this. It's time for us to start taking our land back. It's time for us to start taking our nation back. As Pastor Hanson and I had spoken and talked several times, we just kind of sound off of each other. Sometimes we sound so much alike. <laughs> you know, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> That's the way the conversation has been. But it's time for us to make a stand. You know, and I was on the program uh, several months ago. This was right before the presidential election. And as I was speaking on the program, there were people calling in, some asking for prayer, some really mean and vicious, demonic possessed people were calling in. But one of the individuals who called in and what the ones who were in the prayer room, they were taking notes and statements, questions sometimes. One of the questions that was passed to us is, we are white and we know that it's wrong to vote for Barack Obama, but we are afraid that if we vote for him, do not vote for him, we will be called racist. That's what the question was. I, in my calm way, had to reply. And I said, if you're concerned about being called racist, I want you to look at me. I'm sticking my neck out. I'm subject to be ostracized, and that's all right. Don't get me wrong, y'all. In other words, I'm willing to pay the cost for righteousness sake. I'm willing to stand up, take whatever abuse. That's okay. That's fine with me. And not only that, there are others around the world, not just ministers here in America, but look around the world when people are being challenged to renounce Jesus or be decapitated or executed. And then when you think historically, the trail of blood that which the church was born from, and you are afraid to be called racist. When you think about all of the suffering, all of the death, the millions of people who have given up their lives for simply not accepting Islam in places where they're being challenged to do so. And you are afraid to be called racist. I mentioned I hope that they would rethink that. I don't know how they voted. Doesn't matter. He's president now. But the main thing is, it's time for the church to stand up. When Josiah found the book, the book changed the nation. It's time for us to raise up this standard. This nation was built upon this foundation. This nation has survived based upon this foundation. But if we allow the foundation to be destroyed, guess what's going to happen? So shall we. Let us lift it up. You've got your Bible, lift your Bible up for me. Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, we reclaim our heritage. 
It was you who inspired the founding fathers. Who started with a declaration of trust in you. Who pledged their lives, their property, and their sacred honor. That you would walk with us and help us establish a land that would be dedicated to the glorification of your son. Father, we lift this standard up again. We will work to reclaim our heritage. Father, we thank you for this land. And we thank you for your word. And like Josiah, Father, who started with the tearing of his garment, our hearts are torn and we now repent. We shall not be quiet. We shall not go quietly into that night. We shall stand and be a light that even the enemy will have to take notice of. In the name of Jesus, we claim victory right now. We bless your name above every name. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father. We pray for power in the name of the Holy Ghost. That we'll be able to speak, Father, and you speak through us. That those who don't know who you are will see that there is a nation about to be reborn. We thank you now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.